Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. All right, here we go. Two-thirds are leaving for Children's Church. That is awesome. That is great. Going to miss a great sermon, but have a good time in there. All right, here we go. Well, it is so good to be with you. I hope you all made it through Christmas, New Year. Great time for you. Great time for us as a family. Uh, on top of that, three days after Christmas, we uh, had the privilege of uh, marrying our daughter off. She is now Jesse Alwinson Anderson. That's a mouthful, uh, but what a privilege that was. Joe and I had many conversations about marrying our daughters off and if we would be able to handle that. And uh, it was a great time. He prayed big time that I wouldn't mess it up. And as far as I know, um, it, I didn't. But uh, thank you for praying for us. It's good to be with you. We're continuing our series today in the Gospel according to Mark. I love the Gospel. How many of you like the Gospel of Mark? Good. Everybody raises their hand because you're a Christian. You got to say, I like it, you know. Uh, I love the Gospel of Mark because Mark was written to Roman Christians. Uh, and and Romans, Romans are very much like Americans, fast-paced get stuff done, bottom line kind of people. And so I, I like uh, the book of Mark. It's a, uh, the first gospel that was written straightforward to us. So we're going to continue our study in that today. We're going to talk about greatness. Before we do that, let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, this morning, thank you that we can come into your presence. What a joy to come into the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, you're, you deserve worship beyond what we could ever imagine. You, you, you deserve us to sing of you all day, every day, because you are holy, holy, holy. And Lord, to even think of who you are in your character, in your being, leads us down the path of the infinite. We honor you for being a God who is gracious and merciful and kind, sovereign, Thank you that, that you have absolutely no perspiration on your upper lip, that you, you never are, are worried, that you are calm and filled with joy, that you lead your people perfectly. And so today, as we come into your presence, as we think about the future of our life, as we think about this coming week, as we think about this topic that you set before your people today, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and help us to see things and think about things from your perspective. Radically change our mind to conform with the way you think. Lord Jesus, we honor you. We thank you for such a great salvation that we find only in you. And now as we look into your word, we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. Well, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Greatness, greatness. I, I looked up the synonyms for greatness, and, uh, and, and there are so many. I came up with 40. If we were to open up uh, discussion, you could come up with a lot of them, but we're not going to do that this morning. Uh, greatness, here, here's some of them. Noble, grand, august, majestic, dignified, exalted, commanding, famous, renowned, Widely acclaimed, preeminent. Are, am I going to read all 40 of them? No. But a few more. Illustrious, highly regarded, magnificent, glorious, imposing, kingly. Con There's so many of them, 40 of them at least. 
synonyms to the whole idea of greatness. But then when I start thinking about the opposite of greatness, mediocrity, uh, there are synonyms there too, obscure, anonymous, mediocre, average, or uh, ordinary. Con when I think of greatness, what happens to me is that I focus. I, I, I think of the reality of, of something transcendent, of something big, of something glorious. When I think of greatness, what do you think of? Uh, doesn't it lift your spirits and encourage you and motivate you? And then what happens when you think of the word mediocrity? One of my favorite books is John Mason's little book, An Enemy Called Average. The reality is greatness is the theme of the text. It's the subject of the text today. Uh, but, but when I think of greatness, my heart soars. When I think of mediocrity, I get depressed. Because we were not created to be less than made in the image of God, who is great. Make no mistake about it. There is no one greater than God. And when we use the word, remember what we did a year ago now, I think the, ser the series and the attributes of God. I remember I said that there was only one person in the universe who was awesome. We say everything's awesome. Coffee is awesome. Well, it, it's wonderful. It's a vitamin. It's not a drug. Um, we, we say everything is awesome, but only God is awesome. There's only one promise keeper, and that is God. And so there is no one greater than God. And yet, made in his image, we were made to participate and to be great as he defines it. So let's look into God's word today, Mark 9, 30 through 50, and we'll focus on what greatness really is. This is coming down, as you see, you wonder what that is. That's Mount Hermon in the northern part of Israel. And this text follows uh, what Chuck taught last week, coming down from Mount Transfiguration, Mount Hermon, coming down from Mount Hermon, Jesus and his disciples move into Galilee. Here it is. They went on from there, from Mount Hermon, and passed through Galilee, and he, Jesus, did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was what? The greatest. And he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ 
will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, the ministry that I serve in Orlando and the greater Orlando area has a, a, a very simple and focused mission statement. We are about building great men. With the caveat, and I ought to make Charlie and CJ say it, because it's good to have you guys here today. I'm not going to make you say it, but I should. We're about building great men as God defines greatness. That's the key thing. We really are, because the reality is that's discipleship. That's the process of discipleship and where our focus is on men. But you see, when men become great and they flourish, everybody benefits. Uh, women, children, churches, and culture, everybody. Men flourish when they become great as, with the caveat, God defines greatness. And so I think about greatness a lot, all the time, because that's our focus. David Bornstein, the uh, author uh, and uh, communicator, said this about greatness. He said, some men are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have public relations officers. <laughs> I love it. Born great, make themselves great, public relations officers. Every one of us has a public relations officer at our disposal every day. I can post something and I can, I can make myself look so good in an instant and you won't know. And all the people following me, if they are, or following you, you can make yourself out to look so good, can't you? Have you ever done it? I have. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand. And I believe that about you too, but no, I'm just, we all have. Why? Because it is our tendency to become great, our desire to be great. Uh, and it's important for us to understand that Jesus is dealing with greatness. And in this text, we see perhaps in all of Jesus' teaching, the clearest delineations of what greatness really is. Now, as we talk about this text today, I don't want you to think that this is the only clarification of what greatness is, but it's one of the clearest in the New Testament that we find. And, and it's so important to understand what greatness is. Greatness is having childlike humility that leads to unpretentious service. That's where I'm gonna be going this whole day, because I think that's where Jesus is going in this text. 
Greatness is childlike humility that leads to unpretentious service. And that's a powerful metaphor for us as we think about this whole thing. Now, I'm going to unpack this text, and I've got three points uh, because uh, this, this text just opens it up itself up that way. But before I do that, I want to tell you this. This topic is Christianity 101. This is discipleship 101. This whole issue of humility and greatness really is the essence of the gospel. And I'll bet you, uh, and I've, I've, I've gone through innumerable number of discipleship processes and notebooks and teachings, and I never understood until this past week. Okay, it's a confession that this is really entry-level discipleship. And you'll see why in just a minute, how crucial it is. I'm excited about this text. Let's unpack it. Here we go. There's three major points about greatness that I want you to see. And the first one really is that the, the greatness of the gospel in verses 30 through 32. This is a powerful text. They went out from there. They went down from Mount Hermon. And you can see when you come down from Mount Hermon in, in Israel, it's a powerful long way down the mountain and into the, the valley. The, you can see from Mount Hermon the, the fertile uh, valley of Galilee up in that that area, uh, the Sea of Galilee, you can see it all. And so they're walking through Galilee, and it says that Jesus did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. And as he was teaching his disciples, he gives them a, the kernel and the most uh, clearest summation of the gospel message uh, that we see. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Did they understand? No, they didn't understand. But here's, here's something that's so important to keep in mind as we go into this, is that Jesus is trying, Jesus is the most notorious and popular figure in a very small country, and he's trying to keep himself on the down low. Why? Why is he trying to do that? He's trying to keep himself and his apostolic band uh, anonymous as they walk down from Hermon down to the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, his headquarters. And the reason is, is because after this, they're going to be headed down to Jerusalem. And when they go to Jerusalem, he's going to present himself as the Messiah, the King, and then he's going to be crucified. And all hell on earth is going to break loose. And so he's got to teach his disciples this right now. They have got to get it now. Or they're not going to be able to get this when their life gets even more chaotic. And they won't know how to deal with all of the opposition and the frustration. And so they have to get this right now. Uh, and so Jesus takes them into isolation. Here's a footnote. This is free. We don't have any time to go into this. Sometimes God will take you into isolation and get you alone so he can teach you some important things. Why are my friends not around? Why am I going through this time of trial? Why does it seem when I ask somebody to get together, nobody is saying, why do I feel so alone? Maybe, maybe because in isolation, sometimes that's the only time you can really hear the voice of God. He tends to wake me up about 2 a.m. I haven't been asleep yet, Father. A long Father, he says, doesn't matter. We're, we're going to talk because there's nothing else going on. So in isolation and in quiet, 
The Father wants to develop us, and the Lord Jesus wants to disciple us. That's what he's doing with his disciples. But they have to get this. They have to get what humility is and what greatness is, because if they don't get it now, when, when, when the opposition comes, they won't be able to promote the gospel. There's a very old story. It's not true, of course, but it's an old story uh, about Jesus after the resurrection ascending into heaven and Michael the archangel sees him and comes up to him and bows down and says, Lord Jesus, what you have accomplished on earth, absolutely stunning. It has rocked the heavens. Now, how will everybody on earth know? How will they know that you took the form of a child, that you became a man, the second Adam, that you paid for their curse, that you died in their place, you rose again? How will everybody on the planet come to know about what you have done for them? And Jesus says, well, I've trained my disciples. I have taught them. I have left the message with them, and they will tell the world. And Michael says, you've got to be kidding. It's in Hebrew, and it's in the footnotes of the Old Testament someplace. You're trusting them? Those guys? Those guys that deny you? Those guys that are on it? You're trusting them? You've got to have a backup plan. Jesus looks at Michael and he says, I have no other plan. And this is why it is so important for us to learn this as well. Because Jesus has no backup plan. Could he have brought the gospel to anybody, any way without us? Of course. But he has foreordained not only who will come to Christ, but how they will come to Christ. And he has ordained us to be that vast army wherever we are, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the disciples were that first generation that had to be the ones to take it. And so Jesus was teaching them what servanthood and greatness really was. But he talks about the greatness of the gospel. What a great place. I could spend the whole sermon on, on just these three verses. I won't. You notice I have three points. I'm going to get through it. But this is, this is the greatness of the gospel. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of ungodly men, and they will crucify him. The word could be translated betrayed. In fact, some of our, some of our translations actually translate this a Greek word, that the Son of Man will be delivered, it's translated betrayed. But, but there's a very real sense in which scholars are, are right and agreed at saying that probably we ought to keep this delivered because while Jesus is walking down from the mountain with his band, who's with him? Is Judas there? Of course he is. Judas is right there. And Jesus deliberately says, not that he's going to betray me, but he says, the son of man, the Daniel son of man, Jesus' favorite expression for himself is son of man. The son of man of Daniel, that's me. I will be delivered up. And there's a very real sense in which Judas is irrelevant to what Jesus came to do. Because even though Judas betrayed him, Jesus would have been delivered up. He was a baby born to die in our place. This is the greatness of the gospel. And, and the bad news is that we're condemned sinners. But you see, we believe in the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. The penalty has to be made for sin because God is holy and we are not. And Jesus paid it. 
The cross was absolutely mandatory. And that's why I love what Paul says in Philippians. He says, as he starts out, Philippians 2, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any uh, fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being found in the appearance of man and being found in the likeness of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. That's the greatness of the gospel, the greatness of our Savior. The, the reality is, is that we needed a Savior. And so when we think about greatness, we are drawn to the greatness of God the Son becoming God the Man, becoming God the Savior. Here's what I realized at the beginning of a new year. More than ever, I needed someone to die for me. And as we as a church move forward and go into the new year, it's so important for us to be humbled by this reality, isn't it? That we needed someone to die for each one of us. Because greatness, greatness is childlike humility that leads to unpretentious service. And we just got a great report uh, about our, our pastoral search. It's hard work. But the reality is, uh, they're going deep. They're doing the work. Jesus is at work. Wouldn't it be great by the time you call your next pastor, more and more of us have this sense that we are humble servants United as one to be unpretentious servants of one another. That's how the gospel spreads. It spreads when we're unified. And that's why this is so important. The greatness of the gospel is illustrated, but, it re but we'll only be humble if we real. And it was a long time ago when I accepted Christ. I was an eight-year-old boy. Every eight-year-old boy knows he's a sinner, particularly when he was raised in a church. I was taught that by my Baptist pastors every week. And sometimes I think I've grown to the point where I don't need a savior. At this point in my life, I know it more than ever. Do you? We'd all need to. The greatness of the gospel. Secondly, notice the greatness of the gospel messengers, verses 33 through 40. This is powerful. And this is really probably ought to be the greatness of the hope is what, what ought to characterize gospel messengers. Uh, the greatness of the gospel messengers is that we're like children. So here it is, verse 33. I love it. They come to Capernaum and Jesus, don't you? 
Wouldn't you love to have been a part of that apostolic band? I mean, I would like to have been on the periphery watching this whole thing take place, watching these guys brag about who was, you know, greater than, than the other. I, I wouldn't want Jesus looking at me and saying, hey, what were you guys talking about back there? Someone said that Jesus always walked out in front of his apostolic band thinking great thoughts while they were back in the back thinking vain thoughts. <laughs> I love that. But the bottom line is he, he, uh, he confronts them. All three gospels bring up, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all bring up this account. In, in, in Mark, it says they were discussing who was the greater. In Luke, it says that Jesus discerned that they were having that conversation. In Matthew, it says that uh, uh, somebody blurts out uh, who is the greatest. And really, when you put all of these together, that's kind of what we see actually happened. They were arguing. Jesus discerned who was the, that they were arguing about who was the greatest. And then and he turns to them with this question, and somebody comes back and says, all right, who is the greatest? So that's how it unpacked, and Jesus confronts them. Um, let me say one thing about greatness. Rank was everywhere in the first century. You couldn't go anywhere without rank being displayed. Roman soldiers, whether, whether their helmets had, had the flu-flu the brush going this way or this way, um, you, you, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing a priest, a high priest whose robes or clothes illustrated or the phylacteries hanging from them, what rank they were in, what role they played. Rank was everywhere in the first century. And so it's natural for these, these guys to struggle with this issue. Do we struggle with rank today? We do. Um, it's fascinating because only, Jesus only took, who did he take up to the mount? Peter, James, and John. And, and who, is, who, is, who is the mouth of the disciples, can we talk? Peter. But who was also probably at point a lot of the times? Peter. Tell the Jerusalem council that it was James. But the reality is uh, these guys were, were led by Jesus in different times. So they were, they were, Peter was probably saying something like, you know, you guys, you guys think you're pretty good, but I'm really better than all of you put together in Jesus' name. I just want you to know a deeply humble man. Um, but the reality is we'll have that same struggle because rank is everywhere. And unless we understand at the beginning of every day who we are, we will go out to find our rank, to build our identity, to build our sense of self and try to get it from other people like they were. And so Jesus brings the teaching in and brings the child in. I love this. And he brings that little kid in there. And why did he do that? Here's why. Because in the first century, a child was a person without rank. Kids Kids today have far higher rank than they had in the first century. Back then, you didn't know if they were going to live very long. So you didn't start giving them a whole lot of attention until they showed a survivor, survivability at a certain age. Kids were just not that important until they got to a certain age, until an age of sustainability. Yeah, you're probably going to live. Okay, we'll start giving you some value. And so Jesus takes this little kid and says, you guys deem this child as unvaluable, but, uh, but this is a model of greatness, humility that lends itself toward unpretentious service. And see, the thing about kids are that when they're young, when they're really young, 
They could, and I remember when my kids were young and Steve Brown was over at our house and Steve Brown was the, you know, the voice. And my kids would come over and they'd go over and he'd be sitting on the floor, bending his fingers backwards. You know, he could do that. He's double jointed. And they were going, wow. You know, and, and I'm, I'm going gaga because this is my mentor here and my kids don't care. Hitting him on the back. You know, they don't treat him with the respect that he ought to get as a reverend doctor because kids don't care about rank until what? Till we teach him. Till we teach him that there should be some distinctions made. So Jesus brings that little kid in there. And by the way, kids are so vulnerable. Kids are so vulnerable. So are we. And when you're vulnerable, you are more humble. Guys, think about the time when you failed big time. The last time. A few years ago? Last week? How did you feel when you had to actually say, I was wrong. Forgive me. It's hard to get out, isn't it? It's hard to admit we were wrong because, because we, well, we're trying to prove we're something, that we have rank and all this. And that's why he says this little, chill, little child, this, this is it. Greater Orlando is, is not unlike Israel in the sense that if Israel was going to be reached, it, took, it was going to take humble men who realized they didn't have what it took to bring the gospel to a world that would be opposed to them. They have to understand that they are humble, that their identity is in Christ, and that therefore they have the ability by God's grace to take the gospel of grace to other people and serve other people and keep telling them the gospel even when they reject it. And so humility was beginning to sink in, verse 34 through 38. You might be like me. I read this text for years and never saw how this connected in. And how it connected, because all of a sudden John says, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, know this text, and, and we told him to stop because they weren't with us. They're not of our, our caliber. They're not, as high, they're not disciples. And what does Jesus say? Well, listen, if they're not against us, they're what? For us. I was at a wedding. I did a wedding yesterday up in Jacksonville, and uh, somebody was asking me if they thought so-and-so was a Christian. And I said, I don't know, but I know this, they're not against us. So right now, I'm going to presuppose that they're for us. And this was John asking, the John, one of the sons of thunder. Jesus, they're not one of us. And he's beginning to get it. And Jesus says, yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about rank so much. Uh, do not stop him. He who does a mighty work on my name will not be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who's not against us is for us. Now we got to wrap this up because we've seen the greatness of the gospel. And then the greatness of gospel messengers. That we ought to... Greatness is childlike humility that comes from the grace that we have in Christ, that we needed a Savior and always will. And therefore, because we are unbelievably loved by God, because Jesus has done everything necessary, we can be servants. 
The greatness of the gospel leads to the greatness of gospel messengers, which is humility that leads to unpretentious service. And by the way, I see unpretentious service around here all the time. Every Sunday, and we're going to see it this morning, when these lights go up, the benediction is done, the lights go up, these chairs have got to go down. Blows me away. The servant spirit. So Orangewood has this. You bring the red bags all the time. You're feeding all kinds of people. You're doing, we've got a school. You're doing this. And yet Paul would say, excel still more. Excel still more. How do we grow in this way? The way to greatness. Back in verse 41, Jesus jumps right into it. I'm almost done. He says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. How do we grow in this kind of greatness where it is childlike humility that leads to unpretentious service? That's greatness. How do we get there? We've got to let the gospel sink in, number one. And understand that God is not angry at us because of the work of Jesus. And that if you put your faith and trust in him, your identity has been completely reworked. And you are God's deeply beloved, redeemed daughter and son of the most high God. That's your identity. Don't let the world define you as you walk out of here today or tomorrow. They don't define you. Jesus does. And when we let that sink in, we don't have anything to prove and nothing to lose. And we can rest in this high, unsurpassable identity that we have in Christ. We are redeemed by great grace. Is at the same time humbling and energizing. Tells us who we are and then sends us out as servants. Uh, and then so we get practical. We give a cup of water. We serve in the name of Jesus as you are doing. Are we, and I find myself as a leader saying, where am I serving in an unpretentious way? Where nobody has the opportunity to give back to me. That's what I've got to keep finding and finding those ways to do it. And then exercising some self-discipline. You say, what's all this about salt? How many of you like salt? I'm a, I love salt. Hey, I'm going to go public here. I stopped at McDonald's on Friday. I had a Big Mac, fries, and a whole bunch of salt. Awesome. Awesome. Salt is good. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. But here, here he's pointing to the reality that salt, in a metaphorical way, is not only a taste enhancer, but it's a preservative. And he says to us, you guys are important in the culture. And as much as our culture is trying to minimize you and push you aside as if you're not important, he says to us, oh, we are, we are. Our service is important. The God of the universe sees our service. Keep giving cups of water to people. Serve in an unpretentious way. And, and, and as you start exalting your yourself, do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes and exercise discipline to not only let grace sink in, but discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That means if your hand's going to cause you to stumble, what? Cut it off. Your eye, rip it out. That's not literal. It's talking about rigorous self-discipline. That's a part of following Jesus, isn't it? Grace humbles and energizes us but self-discipline is a part of the process of becoming great. As God 
defines greatness. We had dinner with some friends on Friday night, a couple of, a couple of couples, and uh, it was a few of their birthdays. And so one of my more spiritual friends said, okay, what's your word for the year? Okay, we're just having a good birthday celebration. You got to get spiritual on us. So one of my, one of my friends said, scared. That opened up some conversation. Another said, delighted in God. Another said, focus. Maybe it ought to be greatness. which is childlike humility that leads to unpretentious service. I don't know. Think about it. And I will too. It's a game changer. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for the greatness of your gospel, the greatness of what we can be as your messengers, but make us great as you define it. We love you. And as we go out of here today, we pray that you would never let us forget that you would kick down any obstacle, tear down any truth, the false lies to bring us to truth so that you could build us as your people of grace in this world. We love you, but only because you loved us first. And we honor you now in your holy name. Amen.